much for joining us. This is Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. I'm a clinical psychologist, leadership consultant, and a really big fan of you getting to fulfill your life purpose. I want you to get unstuck and unlock your potential relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and vocationally. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Welcome to Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. I am a clinical psychologist in Tejas, Texas, and one of my dear friends is on this episode to join us from the Cognitive Behavioral Neuroscience Camp. She is brilliant, and we are good friends who love to collaborate, and she's actually the person who brought me in the first time to be an adjunct professor. So the Lord has used her in a really unique part of my journey of uh, into teaching in higher education. So Dr. Catherine Peng is a clinical psychologist in Dallas, and she is the founder of her practice, and it's huge group thriving, and the Christian Life Institute founder as well, and she is on the radio Saturday evening, 6.30 p.m. on The Word FM, and we will put links to all of this, so if you want to follow and connect with her, absolutely please do. So for tonight, um, I don't even know if it's tonight, but whenever you listen to this episode, I am so excited for you to glean some tools from very practical ways to navigate thoughts, behaviors, reactions. We live in a culture of blame and shame, where it's very easy to either blame others, or if we do take responsibility, we go into a shame cycle, and then we feel so bad about ourselves that we don't actually make the forward progress that we need. And so Dr. Peng is phenomenal at helping people not come under that shame, I'm a bad person, but really have the strategies to walk out of that. So I'll let her give a little bit more of her bio. I know she was an attorney prior to being a psychologist and now a certified in functional medicine. So I don't know how she sleeps, but she is a dear friend and I can't wait for you to meet her. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, Dr. Crawford. Yes. It was a great privilege to be here together. And, and you are a significant influence in my life as well. And very excited how we complement each other with your approach to deeper issues of trauma and finding yeah. one's identity and who they authentically are. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. So yes, my passion is change, growth, and transformation. Mm. And a, and a lot of what I encourage, because in our psychology practice, we work with everyone. So it's not a Christ-based practice per se. We have folks who come who want more of a Christ-centric or Bible-focused approach. Our approach is still grounded in the empirical science of psychology, as well as the brain, which God did create and is quite extraordinary yes. and very, very complex as well as spiritual formation through the Christian Life Institute. So we also work with a lot of folks to help them really deepen and what we call anchor in to the truth of who God is according to the truth of his word. Okay. So I am passionate about forward movement and use the phrase grow forward mm. because we can grow forward no matter what we are facing, no matter where we are, no matter what's surrounding us. Mm-hmm. We have particularly in Christ, that amazing opportunity. Absolutely. 
All right. So I'm sure we have a lot of people out there who are wondering, Dr. Peng, if I have some thoughts that I am just struggling with and I don't know what to do. Obviously, you're not a genie in a bottle that we can give a thousand solutions and this is not therapy. But what are some practical things where people could start that journey? Yeah, that's a great question, right? So I think we need to recognize first the power of the flesh. Our flesh is never, ever, 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 ever going to be our friend. Paul makes it really clear in Galatians 5.17 that the flesh and the spirit work in opposition. So we need to learn how to move out of what I refer to as the limbic system, which is the lower part, the more primitive part of our brain, and shift up into the prefrontal cortex, where those higher level executive function and decision-making skills come So a lot of what we do therapeutically is help people identify the traps of the flesh or what we refer to as the subtleties of the flesh, as well as the power of the limbic system Mm -hmm. and how to be able to, number one, stop. Because if we're in a frenzy and we're chaotic and we're struggling and we're fighting against, we're going to lose traction. We're not going to be able to get that space to take a moment to say, wait a minute, whoa, hold everything. No matter what's whirling around us, we need to learn to be able to pause. You know, when they teach people how to swim in stormy seas or they're teaching you lifeguarding, the the essence of that message is you don't fight the wave when it's taking you down, right? Like our tendency to self-protect, our survival instinct, which comes from our sympathetic nervous system and the lower part of our brain is very, very strong. We're going to want to fight the wave and all that energy expenditure and all that tossing and kicking and, and being tossed to and fro causes such disorientation that they actually teach you to do something which is counterintuitive, which is to relax into it, to let yourself be pulled in so that you can take the space to then orient yourself Mm-hmm. to be able to use the energy to find up. Yeah. It's the same thing when we're fighting thoughts or emotions or feelings. We really have to take a breath. We have to learn to downregulate. I do a lot of neurobiology, mm-hmm. a lot of teaching people how to regulate through tone and body posture and mm-hmm. paralinguistics and all the things that message to our body. So when we have this raging sea, or these thoughts that are being tossed to and fro, I like to refer to my stray cat metaphor. So if you love cats out there, take this the way it's intended. And if you hate cats out there, still take this the way it's intended, okay? For most people, most of the time, stray cats, and I will say to someone, do what? Shannon, what do stray cats do? They go through your trash. They do, that's true, but they will come up sometimes again if they're not feral and they're not angry, so let's go with it. Okay. (laughs) They'll come up and they kind of rub against your leg and they kind of purr and meow and they look at you with those big cartoon eyes, right? And the average human is going to do what? Melt. What do you do? do? Hmm? Melt. Melt. They're going to feed it. Keyword, everyone. (laughs) Write that down. Feed. That's an essential concept. They're going to feed the stray cat. Okay, so Dr. Crawford, what happens when you feed a stray cat? It comes back. Yes, that's another critical concept. Feed equals return. Mm -hmm. Okay, 
we have to learn not to feed the thoughts, right? We have scripture that says, bring every thought into the captive obedience of Christ Jesus, which yes, we want to bring that thought into the submission of the truth of God's word. That's what that scripture is referring to. But what we don't want to do, and again, we are not providing therapy right now. Everything is very personalized because there are times when we have to sit in intrusive thoughts. There are times with exposure therapy where we have to learn to allow the thought to be. But in the straight cat metaphor, when you have that worry and that anxiety and that fear and what do I do? And you're just getting lost in the chaos of it all. You have to say to yourself, the thoughts are like stray cats. Mm -hmm. They're going to come. They're going to purr. They're going to grab for my attention because that's what they do. They want you to feed them. The thought wants you to sit there and go, oh, but what if? But I need to. But then I have to. And get all caught up in the thinking. Yeah. We teach people how to let the thoughts come and go. We teach them how to resist the urge to feed the stray cat. Because as we do not feed the stray cat, the cat will eventually get bored. And it will eventually go away and it will diminish. Mm -hmm. And those thoughts and that chaos will start to settle down. It takes time and it's challenging because the tendency is to get hooked by them. That's the power of the flesh. Mm -hmm. It wants to draw us in. It wants us to feed it, which is why we can't play nice with the flesh, which is why we teach folks about non-negotiables or things that we have to make non-negotiable, not out of legalism or rigidity or rules and regulations, or being mean to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Again, all of this is very fine-tuned depending upon what the person is struggling with and personality and a whole bunch of issues. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, we we have to teach folks to be able to let the cats come and go. Mm -hmm. Because if we start to feed them, they're going to go tell their friends and the thoughts are going to come and we're actually going to increase the thoughts. Mm-hmm. And here's another incredibly important tip. Anyone out there ever get frustrated at all of the thoughts? Of course. Anyone out there ever say, I thought I was making progress. Why are the thoughts coming back? Mm-hmm. Anyone ever out there say, what am I doing wrong that the thoughts are coming back? Dr. Mm-hmm. Pang, this is not working. The thoughts come back. If we can remind ourselves the thoughts are stray cats, mm-hmm. And we can dump the expectation that stray cats are going to change their behavior Mm -hmm. because by definition, the thoughts are trained to come back. Mm -hmm. And even when we make great therapeutic progress and we're down the road, I can never promise that a thought will completely 100% go away. What we're learning to do is we're learning to respond differently when the thought comes. And that's another key concept the idea of reaction versus response. People use these words in all kinds of ways. Part of what we do therapeutically and at the Christian Life Institute is we teach people sort of a new vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Reaction is a word connected to the limbic system. I don't want to be a reactive person. I want to be a responsibly responsive person yeah. because response comes from the prefrontal cortex. Yes. And we can't respond if we don't learn to pause, Mm. to stop. What's going on? What's happening at the moment? 
Okay, these thoughts are here. They're disturbing. They're unpleasant. They're not what I want. They're annoying. Okay, I'm not going to get frustrated. They're stray cats. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to my spiritual toolbox. I'm going to go to my therapeutic toolbox. What am I going to pull out? Oh, they're stray cats. Okay, I'm going to pause. I'm going to learn a deep dive. That's another term that we use. Being able to say, okay, so what am I about to do? Why am I about to do it? What am I about to say? Why am I about to say it? What's my intent? What's my motive? What's the truth in this? Mm-hmm. Critical foundation pieces. We have to cultivate that awareness of self because when we're reacting all the time or running to and fro or busy with this or don't have time for that or just pressed in on all sides, yeah. we're not living intentionally. Mm-hmm. And if we're not living intentionally, we're just in overdrive in reaction mode. Yeah. And there's no way that we can be responsibly responsive in those places. That's so true. And I remember having a conversation with a client and major depression, major anxiety, crippling, and just the basic tool of telling him, you don't have to believe that thought. You don't have to entertain that thought. That thought may not even come from you because the client was so obsessed with what does this mean? And should I make life choices based on that? Because maybe some deep part of me does think that, and maybe I should follow that. And the more the person ruminated on the thought, the more they were making terrible, bad choices, anxious, feeling out of control, bad, sabotaging relationships, not moving forward with career. And just the simple intervention of saying, you don't have to entertain that thought or stray cat. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean there's some deep analytic meaning and there's some unconscious part of you that believes that. Uh, We have to take every thought captive And then decide, is that my thought? Do I choose to think that? And then follow the trajectory of what will that thought ultimately lead to? Life and blessings and good choices? Or will it lead to separation, fear, mistrust, uh, laziness, withdrawal? And ultimately, I am the steward of my thoughts. And so what I entertain, I'm being a hostess, kind of like the stray cat metaphor, that for anybody out there, if you're having a frustrating experience with thoughts just entering your mind, you can take that thought captive and say, you don't get to come to my dinner party. I'm not going to put milk out for you, little stray cat. Like, I don't have to think that. And sometimes in my life, I've even used my imagination to picture scissors and cutting that thought, cutting that feeling, that impulse, that emotion, and saying, no, that's not my thought. (laughs) Perfect. You would have thought we plan that ahead. Um, That you don't have to think a thought and entertain it just because it comes in your head. You can take it captive and go, no, I don't want to go down that trajectory. And I choose to think the opposite based on my morals, my convictions, and what I want for my life, not based on just kind of this passive being that just lets any old thought in our brain. Yeah. You mentioned something so crucial. We start with and emphasize over and over and over, both therapeutically and at the Christian Life Institute, choice. Yes. Every microsecond of every moment is a choice. Mm -hmm. You may not have just thought, I'm going to choose now to pick up my teacup and take a sip of my tea. A lot of the things that we do are automatic. We're not paying attention. But the reality is every microsecond, there's a choice. There's a choice Do I pick up my water bottle or do I not pick up my water bottle? We teach people in the beginning and cultivating that awareness of self really get very, very, very granular about what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Mm -hmm. What am I going to say? Why am I saying it? So that you see that you do have a choice. Yeah. And really other than situations, 
where there's true what I'll refer to as addictive powerless. And addictive powerless, talking about the first step from the A's, and I use a lot of the A's as reference points because the steps have great value even if you don't quote unquote have an addiction Mm-hmm. And you can feel powerless to something mm-hmm. without, quote unquote, having a traditional addiction. Yes. That powerlessness, right? That's going to require, of course, a power greater than yourself, which we hope and pray is the risen Lord, the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you do have choices. And the words that you speak to yourself so matter. Yes. When you were talking about taking the scissors and cut it. I have in my office this messy ball of mixed up yarn because people use what I refer to as big bucket words. Mm -hmm. I'm so overwhelmed. What does that mean? I'm so stressed. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. I feel guilty. And I actually say from a biblical perspective, let's toss the word guilt. It's either conviction or condemnation. Come on. Conviction only comes from Christ, and it's to move us forward towards him. Mm -hmm. Condemnation never, ever, 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 ever comes from Christ, the spirit, God. It comes solely from the flesh, from the world, from others. And when you say you feel guilty, it's important to sort out, am I feeling convicted because the Lord would have me do something? Mm -hmm. Or am I really condemning myself because deep down I know I've made a wrong choice. I need to make an amend. I'm not happy with the way I handle that. Yeah, We need to understand what we mean. So what I do is I say, first of all, let's not speak in big bucket words anymore. So if you're saying you're overwhelmed, let's start to parse out this tangled web. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at this white strand. Let's identify. What does that mean? Overwhelmed. Okay. White strand. I have too much to do. Pink strand. I don't know how to manage my time. Yellow strand, all these people are making all these demands from me. Okay, now at least we're naming them. Mm-hmm. Once we name them, now we can effectively, because we're very solution focused, we're very practical, we have to live in but not of this world. Yeah. And we need very practical ways to do that. Okay, so now what can we do about time management? We can cultivate those skills. Absolutely all day long, not a problem. If you're willing, we can give you a methodology. What do we do about all these expectations of others? Well, first, we can't do anything about anybody's others. How are we going to choose to respond? Mm -hmm. And let's also choose to not use expectations as a word. Because again, expectations are killers. They're like cancer cells. Yeah. Preferences, desires, wants, needs. Again, let's make sure we're using terminology. Because if I'm walking around all day going, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't do it. It's too much. Everybody any one of us is going to feel like, oh, no. Yeah. If we're walking around saying, wait a minute, I, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Okay, what does that mean? This person's putting all this pressure on me. Okay, how can I choose to respond? Let me think about that. Oh, okay, so let me get a strategy. Mm-hmm. So it's about finding those practical strategies and, and really reframing is a, cre- a key cognitive behavioral term. Reframing how we choose to think about something. All right. So let's get into the weeds. What would be a, for instance, if somebody's hearing these terms and they're starting to kind of like go over their head, what would be a, for instance, of how could somebody reframe some thoughts? Okay. So if I'm going to say, wow, I never get anything right. I would say, okay, let's pause for a moment. Never. 
that's a really big word. Like you're 34, you've never, ever gotten anything right. Like you don't open the cat food can, right? You don't put the coffee in the coffee filter correctly, you know? Like, let's really challenge that. So let's Mm -hmm. not say never. Okay, I never get anything right. Can we reframe that? Um, I sometimes don't get things right. Okay, that's still kind of large. Can we get more specific? I always seem to forget to pack my child's apple for lunch. Oh, okay, now we've got something to work with. Mm -hmm. What can we do about that? When do you make lunch? What does that look like? How do you put that together? Can we put the apple first in the bag? Can we do that the minute we take out the lunchbox? Can we put the apple in and then we won't forget the apple, right? So now we have something practical we can work with. Oh, I always run out of the house. I never remember my backpack. Okay, again, never. Let's challenge that. Well, most of the time I forget my backpack. Okay, well, what if we put the backpack in front of the front door so you literally can't get out of the house without tripping on it? Mm-hmm. Could we do that? Right. So when we break this stuff down and we really challenge or, you know, nobody loves me. Nobody. Well, you tell me that you're a Christian and you tell me that you believe in the Bible. So does that mean Jesus doesn't love you? Well, Jesus isn't a somebody. Okay. Do you want to talk about the fact? Well, he's not tangible. Okay. But he loves you. So we can we reframe that? Who doesn't love you? Susan. Okay. Well, let's talk about Susan. Let's talk about the relationship. And let's talk about why you feel that Susan doesn't love you. So when we force ourselves to get out of these big buckets and these generalizations and really write down. So I ask folks, I say in the first, you know, several weeks of therapy or months, I'll say, you know what? Write down all of those thoughts, all of what I call the ick. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's not be afraid of them. We all have ick. Mm-hmm. Every human has ick. We have to we are, confront You it. are not ick exempt. I am not yeah. ick exempt. Let's write down the ick and let's not mm-hmm. fear it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bring it in. Let's hear that negative thinking. Let's hear how you're framing that. Let's hear what you're saying to yourself. Are you saying to yourself 20 times a day? I never get it right because you're going to believe it. Are you telling yourself 10 times a day you're stupid? Why? Let's look at the truth in that because we probably can come up with something on the right-hand side if we're going to draw a line down the middle of the page and on the left is all of the ick, the right. If we take each one of those strands, Mm -hmm. maybe we can say, you know what? Okay, I make mistakes, Mm -hmm. but I can. I am. Let's reframe and anchor into a truth statement. So we teach people to start to identify true statements because we want to anchor. We want that stability. Yeah. We want that core intrinsic stability so that no matter what is external to us, we're not tossed to and fro. We, we really teach people how to anchor into intrinsic core stability. So no matter the externalities, as we refer to them, no matter the externals that are flying around what we refer to as the land, meaning their environment, their context, yeah. that they can be like a sequoia and not get blown over or be like a high rise in downtown Dallas that's going to move with the wind so that it doesn't break. Yeah. 
So for anybody out there who has struggled in this area, we want to normalize that a lot of people do. And developmentally, when you develop autonomy and the ability to believe yourself, because a lot of times we don't believe our new thoughts. And let's say you're trying to go to school and believe something positive about yourself or enter into a relationship and believe this person really loves you, uh, but you continue to struggle or you're at work and you feel insecure, like the boss is just going to fire you at any point. Um, so there are a lot of little anxieties that can creep up. And one of the things that happens is we don't actually believe that we have, uh, that we're powerful people who have autonomy, who get to choose our thoughts. And so I just want to speak refreshing over anybody who as a child, it may have been adaptive for you to not take responsibility, to not lead, to stay more um, dependent on others in order to maintain relationship. Maybe in some of your relationships, you took on kind of a sense of second guessing yourself and doubt and acquiescing a little bit codependent um, out of this fear of rejection or making the wrong choice, or maybe you're incompetent or not capable. You don't have what it takes. So let's just take a minute right now as we're listening to this, because she's giving us such good, good tools. And I don't want anyone's uh, internal world to feel like, oh, I can't do that. Because every time I try to reject a lie and believe truth, it doesn't work. What that really means is you're probably not used to deciding your own thoughts and deciding you're a powerful person who gets to choose what you believe. And so for anybody out there who's struggling with that, I want you to just ask Jesus, when throughout my life did I feel powerful or not powerful? And what internal beliefs or vows did I make during that time where I decided I can't trust me? or I'm not smart, I'm not capable, I don't have what it takes, whatever that internal rule is. Because just like your cell phone, you have automaticity, it'll auto populate your password for you. Your brain does that as well. So you'll hear something brilliant, like Dr. Peng is sharing, and your brain will auto populate, yeah, that may work for everybody else, but it's not going to work for me. I've tried that before. But trust me, I really am the exception of the rule. I'm the loser, it's not going to work, blah, blah. But if instead you say, okay, these are universal principles, so I need to problem solve creatively and figure out, okay, what's the the roadblock and how do I pivot past that? So for some of us, me included, it was safer for my relationship with my parents for me to not be too dominant and not be too decisive. Obviously as a kid, I didn't know that. That was a lot of work to unpack that. And so the Lord had to actually walk me through a journey of deciding I do get to decide things. I am a powerful person. Um, I do have autonomy and choice. And so I just want you to see yourself rejecting right down the line, get some scissors, cut it up, and then write down the truth. What is the truth of what God says based on his word about you, about your identity, about being a powerful person who gets to take um, choice and action and have influence over your circumstances, as well as your own thought life and what you believe about yourself. I grew up with such low self-esteem and self-hatred that I would hear things like Dr. Ping is saying, and my brain would be like, doesn't compute, can't apply, don't know how to do that. And so the Lord had to 
show me where my auto-populate, if you want to think of cell phone terms, where my brain was filtering things out and not able to apply it because I was believing a lie. So we have to address that lie and start confessing the truth about that core belief. And then now you're going to start applying that. And we would also say, and I know she's going to talk about in the neuroscience part, um, that we have to rehearse it. What wires together, fires together. And so now if you've had, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of believing one thing, even if unconscious, not all of our thoughts are conscious. So if you've been consciously or unconsciously thinking, I'm a loser, nobody loves me, I can't do this, I'm overwhelmed, um, feeling panic or dread or foreboding about something, you start catastrophizing the future. If you've entertained that stray cat, then you have strong neurobiology at this point, and it will take take effort and rehearsal. Um, going to therapy would be like one session is like one rep. And if I don't do that regularly every day, I'm not going to create new neural networks to have a different path that the little brain and my, the little uh, train in my brain could go a different direction. So can you speak from the neuroscience perspective of helping people understand some of the majestic mystery of the brain, Dr. Peng? Yeah. So that's, that's a really great transition. There's a wonderful two minute YouTube on neuroplasticity and I'll send you the link and you yes. can post that as well. It's my absolute favorite. I'll show it to patients in my office. We'll talk through it. So our brains are neuroplastic. That means they can create new neural pathways. So think about it this way. Even if you live in the South or even if you've never been in the snow, maybe you've seen a, a YouTube, but think about what happens when you have cars on a freeway driving in the snow, right? And let's say it's fresh snow and there's a lot of snow. You have trucks in front of you, which actually can be a good thing in that environment, assuming everyone's safe, because they're making really deep ruts. And mm -hmm. for a car following, you stay in those ruts because they're easy to drive in. If you've ever tried to like make your own lane or cross over a lane, it's very wobbly, it's unstable, it's not comfortable. Mm -hmm. So you wanna stay in that well-trodden path. To Dr. Crawford's points, our brains have created very entrenched, very conditioned, well-trodden paths. Mm -hmm. The things you have come to believe, whether it's been through your own personal thought process or external factors or culture or conditioning or family of origin or a thousand other factors have created ruts in your brain. Yeah. And we want to create new neural pathways. That's why we reframe in the moment. No, I don't get everything wrong all the time. I sometimes make a mistake. We never want to lie to ourselves because that never works. Mm -hmm. We don't want to deceive ourselves. We don't want to spin it, rationalize it, justify it. We don't want to make it cozy and comfortable. There's always a place we can find truth in a statement mm -hmm. when we're looking at a negative thought or, or a conditioned thought. So please mm -hmm. believe and have the hope that we can parse it out together. We do a lot of parsing. We can parse it out together. We can find a nugget of truth that we can anchor into, even if it's a teeny weeny weeny little mustard seed. And Jesus says that was all that we needed yeah. that we can hold on to. The video shows us that these well-conditioned paths, we keep running, like Dr. Crawford said. So our thoughts just keep making the path deeper and more comfortable, mm -hmm. deeper and more comfortable. But now we have to exit. And there's no truck in front of us that's gotten off. Yeah. And if we don't get off this exit ramp, 
we're going to be going nowhere for a really long time. So we have to exit. We have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. I want out. I want out of the cycle. I want out of the patterns. Even if you don't feel like you know how, even if you think it's impossible, even if you say, been there, done that, there is a way out if you want out. Yes. And as you choose that, you're going to create a new neural pathway as you speak that truth to yourself, but it's going to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because your brain is saying, but wait a minute, come back here to this, come back here to this. No, no, you're not good, but I have good. No, you have no good, but I have some good, but no, there's no good. And you have to be able to say to the thought, no, that's not true. I'm not going to feed you. I'm not going to indulge that. I'm not going to hold on to it. And it's hard and it takes time and it's a lengthy process. And to Dr. Crawford's point, if anyone out there engages as any kind of athletic activity or exercise, you know, we can't say I want to be able to run a marathon and then sit on the couch all day. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to get up and go and it's going to hurt sometimes and it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes or we're going to be tired sometimes or we're going to get fed up and frustrated. And that's where we press on. We continue to run the race with endurance. We say the new neural pathway is more important. Mm -hmm. And as we get out of the rut and onto the new way, (laughs) the living way is the name of the radio show on the word FM, by the way, as we get onto the new living way, we start to reinforce that. Mm -hmm. And that reinforcement, we get a little bit, wow, hmm, I didn't make 20 mistakes today. I made four. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I should be, you should be making no mistakes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's unrealistic. There's no human who isn't going to make a mistake. Yeah. So again, are we setting ourselves up? What are we saying? How are we responding to that? But as we reinforce the new neural pathways, we create new pathways in our brain. Yes. And we can, with regular practice and commitment, key words, folks, there's no magic pill. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just come out of the sky. Yes, God can miraculously in a nanosecond do what he's going to do, but assuming we need to be actively involved in the process and commit the time and energy and space to do that, as we do that, we will find change and growth because our brains are neuroplastic. Yes, absolutely. And I think that they would recommend if you are going to decide to change a core belief that you've believed for many, many years, you really want to try to do one at a time. Uh, Because if you're trying to change everything, you're not going to get enough success and momentum begets more momentum. So you want to start with one core belief. And I would probably have you start with something shame-based and confront anything that is uh, shame is a fundamental belief that you are bad or broken, or it's something about you. So what you'll notice is people who personalize, um, instead of saying, man, my manager gave me feedback that was really crummy. And that was really hard to hear. It was my manager doesn't like me. My manager said, I am failing at work. I can't do anything right. They just hate me. So what they did is they shifted from feedback, which is extrinsic and something I do have influence and I can change into personhood. And if it's just me, I'm a failure. And then it omits hope. It omits 
inhibits the problem solving region of the brain from activating. And that's one of the keys why, to her point, that never always must and should create rules on the inside and your brain works on efficiency. So it's called a heuristic, a mental shortcut where the brain goes, oh, I already know what to do with this. And it auto populates a response for you if you have an internal rule to one of your core beliefs. And so any of those rules, especially about your personhood, will literally turn off the problem-solving region of the brain, and you will prove yourself right. It will become a self-fulfilling prophecy where you'll say, well, I, I just always end up losing my job, and no matter what I do, everybody's just against me, blah, blah, blah. And so, of course, you're going to probably walk in with a sour attitude. You're going to be more late or frustrating to deal with, and your belief system is that they just don't like you, that the world is against you, that you're broken, that there's just something about you that causes others to reject you. Instead of going, oh, my core belief is feeding into a lot of funky behavior that is confirming my core belief and then hooks people into responding in the very way I anticipated that they would. And so I find that a thought record is really helpful. I use, I'm obviously more psychodynamic in orientation, but I love CBT tools. Um, so can you help people understand what a thought record is? and maybe a little cheat sheet of how they can take their thoughts to court when they're at home. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is to start to pay attention. What are you saying to yourself? Like, you need to listen because to Dr. Crawford's point, so much of this is automatic. Mm -hmm. You're not even hearing it. You're not even recognizing that you're personalizing or you're not recognizing the generalizations. You're not recognizing how many times a day. So really taking time to cultivate, and it's what we call laying a very strong foundation. We'll take the first two or three months of therapy to just start to learn how to cultivate awareness. Yeah. What am I saying? What thought just came into my head? Mm -hmm. and, and write it down. And then as you learn therapeutically to parse it, as you learn to reframe it, as you learn to extract a truth, a positive truth, a therapeutically helpful truth, Mm -hmm. We use that to now start to cultivate a new neural pathway, mm -hmm. start to learn to shift. Yeah. So that as we are able to see it, we say, wait a minute, no, road closed. Kind of like, you know, uh, a black diamond ski slope. We have a road closure because it's just dangerous today. Yes. So don't go near it. And then you have to learn again, not to fall prey your own temptations, the power of your flesh, those conditioned behaviors, to not set yourself up mm -hmm. to Dr. Crawford's point. She didn't yes. use those words, but mm -hmm. in our world, that's what she was saying. Yeah. We are our own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. And we have to learn how we set ourselves up, how we make it so hard, how we develop these self-fulfilling prophecies mm -hmm. so that we don't continue to perpetuate these falsities yeah. that have been cultivated within us as we change dynamically the way that we're approaching every thought, every situation. And it takes, again, laying that foundation mm -hmm. and being able to keep a record so that we can, as unpleasant as it is, see that ick, but then not fall into condemnation. Mm -hmm. and, and we advocate very strongly, shoulda, woulda, coulda's, not a part of our vocabulary. Yeah. Again, let's stop speaking shoulda, woulda, couldas to yourself mm -hmm. because those have nothing positive and will take you yeah. nowhere healthy and are by definition setups, just like expectations. You can have a desire for yourself, 
you can have a preference, but if we're all bound up, we can't freely choose. Yeah. So we have to get untangled and unbound mm -hmm. so that we can truly have a preference. I'll often say to folks that want to make decisions, you know, if you're making that decision from fear, we never want to act from fear. Mm -hmm. If we're making that decision out of a tit for tat, we don't want to do tit for tats. If we're making that decision out of vindication, mm -mm. self-righteousness, mm -mm. let's again, what's my intent? What's my motive? What's the truth in this? Yeah. Because all of those are coming from a place of bondage mm -hmm. and they're not going to position us for long-term success. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're identifying, where am I believing a shame belief, a core belief that it's something about my personhood that causes me to personalize, uh, then that in of itself will stop and abort any growth past that. Because again, like she's saying, you're going to go into the shame, condemnation, feeling bad about yourself. And there's not really a growth mindset. It creates what's called a fixed mindset. Well, this is what it is. I'm in this rotten marriage. It can't change. Um, I just have a learning disability. I can't read. So I might as well not even try. I'm just emotionally unstable. There's no fixing that. Any of these fixed mindsets stop growth and we're not leaning or growing forward. So again, my biggest encouragement, and I think Dr. Ping's as well, is we want to start identifying what are you getting tripped up on? What is that core belief? And especially if it's about you as a person, if it's a very fundamental fixed core belief that there's no getting around it. You want to start there and start with just one and start rejecting that lie, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it feels like you're lying to yourself. And it's like Pollyanna, like I have a string of rejection and now I'm going to think that I'm accepted. Yes, because at a core, you want to see yourself as accepted and worthy and valuable and capable so that then when you get feedback, now you can grow forward by saying, oh, I could do time management differently. Oh, I could be more friendly when I walk into a new environment. Oh, I don't have to smack my gum in somebody's ear on the phone, which makes them feel like disrespected or whatever. Um, I could talk to my manager more respectfully. I could get down on my kid's level and say, hey, how are you feeling about that? Versus standing tall and expecting them to do and comply. There's a lot of strategies you can develop once you get that core belief, that lie removed. Now you can start adapting problem solving. And so what she's saying is the prefrontal cortex is executive reasoning. And that's where you do long-term consequences, planning, um, personality shifts, stewarding yourself saying, Hey, I don't have permission to yell at this person. I don't care if the barista did make my drink wrong or the person did cut me off or my spouse said it for the 12th time after I told them not to. I don't have permission. The part of that regulatory is the front of me saying, no, self, you don't have permission to act that way. I need to be responsible for me and not blame. And my concern of our culture right now is it's a lot of entitlement to blame and shame. I shame myself and I blame others. And there's not a lot of growth in either of those directions because either they hate me, they're a jerk, they're just a bad spouse. My manager doesn't like me. My employees are just rude and can't work. My kids don't, you know, respect me, blah, blah. All of that is based on blame. And then if you ever look at yourself, you're going to feel defeated. I'm such a bad person. And there's no growth there. And we want to be people who are unlocked to our potential, which means growth constantly. I have to constantly look at myself and not in like a hypercritical way, but in a growth mindset of like, 
how could I do that differently? What are some different options of how I could navigate or handle that situation? How can I even um, ask others and get input or take a couple minutes to deep breathe and get my brain back online instead of back here in the limbic emotional brain or my amygdala, which is fear and aggression. I need to settle me back down so that I can engage the wise brain and then make proactive decisions that are according to the trajectory I choose for my life. And I've heard a lot of Christians confused about control because we're supposed to surrender and release control to God. So I want to clarify there is macro where I release control of my life. That's a very big picture macro level. And then fruit of the spirit, there is a fruit of self-control. So you are at the same time at a micro level on the inside of me saying, I choose not to retaliate. I choose not to gossip. I choose not to binge and eat too much right now. I choose not to um, cheat on my taxes. I choose that. That's the fruit of self-control. So many people are used to blaming somebody else or releasing control in a way that's actually um, not a powerful position. And it keeps you... Um, kind of blaming God, like, well, I prayed about it and he obviously didn't help me keep the job. I lost the job anyway, or I waited for God's best in this marriage and we're still having problems. So somehow it's God's fault when you're supposed to still walk in the fruit of self-control. And that is engaging that wise brain, sitting down and saying, what's the trajectory? What's the vision? We perish without vision. If I don't have a clear sense of where I want to go in this marriage, this business, this ministry, uh, my health, nutrition, exercise, parenting, whatever the course that I want to take, if I'm not sitting down and diligently planning, where do I want to go and what choices, what mindsets, what thoughts do I need to entertain? What behaviors, how do I need to be responding to those around me versus just letting myself respond, however, and then getting very offended when God and others don't live up to our expectations. It's a choice. Mm-hmm. And learn to choose yeah. every moment of the day, even as surrendered vessels, mm-hmm. walking in obedience, choosing Christ. We in those moments, it's, a, it's an active relationship. And the Holy Spirit working in us is, is refining us and transforming us yes. and equipping us to make those choices that are God-centric, to be able to choose to not retaliate, to yeah. your point. That no matter the urges, that's learning how to crucify the flesh, as Paul would say, how to die to self, as Paul would say, how to put on Christ, as Paul would say. We teach Mm -hmm. a lot of Paul at the Christian Life Institute to be able to navigate this messy, messy world with the peace and hope of Christ, to find that ultimate hope and healing that comes in and through him which starts with a surrendered vessel who says, Lord, I can't, but you can. Mm. And in you, I cannot react. And in you, I can manifest love. And in you, I can choose my words. Mm -hmm. And in you, I may not be able to change my environment, but I can through you in me, change me no matter where I am. And that's the focus. And it gives us hope. Because to your point, I'm not doing it in my own strength. And many of us, me included, I have tried and tried and tried. And I used to tell the Lord, don't worry, God, I won't do that again. 
<laughs> and of course I would do it doubly worse the next time. Cause I was the noun instead of, Hey God, would you help me in your strength? Would you help me not do that again? Or would you help me develop this new habit? Would you help me with time management or eating habits or exercise habits or study habits or time management habits? Would you give me the grace? Would you help me? And I'll do it choice. He doesn't just take over like a fairy, um, but I'm doing it through his strength. And I think that gives us such hope for anybody who's felt very hopeless and discouraged and really broken. I want you to leave this going, Hey, I just need the right tools. I need to identify what's the core belief. I need to do one at a time and be systematic about it. I need to take time to start recognizing what is the stray cat that I've been entertaining that I need to say, just because I have the thought doesn't mean it's mine and doesn't mean I need to entertain and feed it. And so instead I need to close that door, cut it, get my little tangled mess of being overwhelmed and start making a strategy for each area of your life, systematic, slow, and steady. And I love her point about just take some really deep breaths because whether you believe it or not, it's really fascinating how the Lord has made us that when you take deep breaths and when you get hugs, you are pushing on these little organs inside of your uh, abdomen. And then that tells the vagus nerve to deactivate the amygdala. And the amygdala, again, is the fire alarm on the inside of you that says, fight, flight, freeze, fear, aggression. I'm not safe. I shut down. So in order to turn that off, off, you have to down-regulate your, your sympathetic nervous system. And so there's practical things the Lord has done in our physiology to help us learn how to get into that uh, smarter rhythm. And I say this a lot because I think it's cute that the parasympathetic nervous system turns off the sympathetic. And sympathetic, again, is that ah, fire alarm. Parasympathetic turns it off. And para makes me think of paraclete, which is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. So he is helper who can help me take my thoughts captive, take some deep breaths, make a good choice. Don't steal, don't yell, don't cuss. Um, don't punch the person that just cut you off on the freeway. Um, don't criticize your spouse, like make that choice to say, Holy Spirit, help me to live like Christ, help me to love well, help me to serve well. And when you do that, you start developing neural networks where it becomes easier over time. But like we've said 1200,000 times, it comes down to practice and rehearsal. Doesn't mean you need to be perfect, but it does mean you get back up and you go, oh, I repent of that behavior because it's not who I am. It's not my identity. I don't need to go into a shame cycle. I just say, I repent of that behavior. And Lord, would you help me continue to develop the opposite behavior that's according to the trajectory and the vision of what I want for this area of my life? So guys, we are definitely going to have Dr. Pang back. She's brilliant. She's amazing. And I'm so grateful to call her friend. And thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And we'll see you next time. Love you guys. Bye. Hey friends, thanks for listening. We would love for you to get plugged in with the Unlock You community. So follow the links below and stay up to date with upcoming content, events, and groups. We are here to invest in you and tailor episodes around your interests. Post comments, and hey, if there are any specific topics you'd like to hear about, let us know so we can strategically build content that is meaningful to you. And will you share this podcast so we can invest into more amazing people? Be sure to hit subscribe so we can see you for the next episode.